a good way to test whether you're link dumping or not is to go to all the posts that your brand either published from its branded account or that you published from your own account and take the links out. Is the post still helpful? If it's like, oh no, really the purpose of this whole post was just to promote the link, you're link dumping. <laughs> You're listening to the Content 10X Podcast, where it's all about content repurposing. I'm Amy Woods, and I'm here to help you maximize your content and find smart ways to get your message in front of more of the right people, whilst also saving time. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Content 10X Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Woods, and in this episode, I have the absolute pleasure of talking to John Benini, who is a very well-known and highly regarded person in the world of B2B marketing, specifically in the SaaS space. Now, up to August 23, John was the head of marketing at Databox, but he's now struck out on his own and he is a consultant helping B2B SaaS companies establish and grow their content brand. He's the founder of Some Good Content, where alongside his consulting and coaching, he has an amazing community of content marketers and a fantastic newsletter that I highly recommend. In this episode, we talk about the concept of a content brand, which is a term that John coined, and we talk about what it means and how to become a content brand. We also talk about creating and, of course, repurposing content and why it's so important for your content strategy. We also look at how to determine what the best anchor medium is for you and your team. And we talk about link dumping, which is a term I really love and lots more. It really is a fantastic conversation. There's so many brilliant practical takeaways for B2B marketers. So let's dive in. John, welcome to the Content 10X podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love the name. So pleasure to be here. It, the pleasure's all mine. I'm so excited to record this episode with you, John. I want to say thank you first for, for sharing such good content because I'm a fan of your content on LinkedIn. I'm a fan of your newsletter. I, I am so looking forward to this. I think we're so aligned in terms of how we think businesses should approach content marketing and specifically from the point of view of focusing on core pillar and content, the harvesting of that content the the people first approach and doing it the right way, like harvesting through unique angles, opening discussions, things like that. And just around where you focus your time and effort. And it's something that I've spoken about a lot it, it, on this podcast. It's all about kind of maximizing content, maximizing effort. So it's really music to my ears when I read your all of your messaging, because I kind of just wish that everyone that we would like to work with would just subscribe to your content and your, <laughs> your messaging. It would be easy yeah, and easy Feel free to well. send a referral link, yeah. <laughs> I absolutely will, I will. Um, so there's loads to talk about today, but firstly, I wanted to to discuss the the concept of a content brand. I know this is a, a term that you've coined and I'm, I'm really, really interested in discussing that a little bit further. I saw that you, you say that there are brands that publish content and then there are content brands, brands that create content that's so good and so helpful that the content stands on its own as a brand, one that builds loyal followers and raving fans. Such, you know, a great concept, such a great point, but could you just explain a little bit more about this, about content brand um, status? You know, every now and then you write something and then you hear someone else read it back and you're like, that was pretty good. Like that, I wrote that, that was, that was pretty good. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it's funny. Like when I started the newsletter, the good content newsletter uh, a year ago, actually, I think it was October, it was a year that gave me this daily, weekly habit of exploring some of the, my own interests regarding content, the things that I wondered about. And what that led to was me examining my own behavior and how I interact with brands and who I have bought from in the past and who I buy from now. And this, I just feel like we were, it was this perfect storm. We're at this crossroads with AI. Even before that, there was less clicks being sent by Google because of, you know, featured snippets and things like that. So organic clicks coming from Google has been on the decline and AI and people are concerned about that. And I was just like, forget all that. And really, I think the thing that popped into my head that kind of sparked this exploration into this idea was that the people who optimize for algorithms aren't the ones who win anyway. It's like long-term. I've never actually shared that because I think that there's probably a lot of, you can go back at that. I don't know how defensible that is, but the idea of content brands came from this idea that a lot of the brands I eventually bought from, I had been recommending for years before I was a customer. And it was like, why, why was that happening? Like, how does that happen? And, you know, I just, again, examined my own behavior. Brands like Wistia, I had loved Wistia and shared their content, referred them to others years before I was working for a company that was in a position to buy a video hosting software. And it kind of just led to this exploration into like, there's so many brands that just publish content and they're publishing keyword driven content and they're just trying to check off boxes, publish a podcast, you know, because that's what they're supposed to do. Uh, publish blog content because they want to rank. Maybe they got some videos because they're trying to get some organic from YouTube. But then there's the content brands that almost treat content as a separate product and they invest in it the way that you would a product, right? Any software company before they sort of develop a product, there's research involved whether that's with their customers or just the broader market, um, they, they resource it, they staff it, right? So people can, they can develop the product and not have to pull from other teams um, or not pull from other teams and have it take 10 times longer. And so this idea of companies like, and, and the other thing that I loved about it is you don't have to be a big company to be a content brand, right? You don't necessarily need a massive team um, because like, look at Wistia compared to like a Salesforce, right? They're much, much smaller in both team size and revenue, but still their approach to content is such that they're a content brand. Um, and yeah, it's kind of just led to this really fun exploration. Um, I remember when I first published the newsletter, um, probably around this time last year, um, that even to this day, it's been the most engaged with piece of content that I've written for the newsletter. And that's when I kind of felt like I was onto something and I've kind of just continued to explore that idea and, and have now built a business around helping brands sort of adapt to becoming a content brand because these days, a lot of the folks that I talk to are either concerned on the trends that they're seeing in their own organic traffic and SEO, or they're concerned about where things are headed based on AI and how easy it is now for anybody to create the next how-to listicle. And so I have a lot of people that come to me being like, we, we know that we need something else. We need, we need people to find us in other ways and we need a brand. I had somebody tell me like when people ask for referrals to software like ours on LinkedIn, nobody ever mentions us. And it's not because this company was small. It's just because all they've invested in is educational SEO content. And they've never built up anything for people to latch onto and be a follower of to recommend a refer in the first place. So yeah, it's, 
it's been this really kind of fun and uh, yeah, just substantial journey of exploring what it is and how how brands approach it. And the fun part is people don't know they're doing it. It's just sort of inherent to who they are. So it's what I've been doing is sort of trying to uncover like what are the things, what are the characteristics of a content brand, what are they doing, and how can other brands sort of mirror that and and uh, you know put forth a strategy that that helps them achieve something similar. So yeah, it's it's been really fun. And I've just been really happy the way that it's caught on. And the really fun moments for me have been when people can, you know, potential consulting clients come to me and they fill out their form to book a discovery call and they're mentioning content brand in the language. And I'm like, this is great. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, there, it's it's been fun. And, and uh, I just feel like it's kind of taken off recently. I think, you know, a, a key reason that people resonate so much with what you're saying because i think everybody can probably think of that like you said that tool or that that software or just that brand that they recommend that it's more sometimes an aspirational recommendation as well like you love the content and you're convinced that they're worthy of your recommendation but it's more maybe a one day thing for you but you're confident enough before any sales or purchase to say that you would recommend them and i can think of I mean, a client that we've worked with, Metadata SaaS platform, their content is is excellent. And I know that people are out there recommending Metadata left, right and center that haven't actually used them yet. You know, the price point is, there's some enterprise level price points there. Um, but people aspirationally kind of recommend, you know, if I, right. my, if I had the budget for Metadata, I'd be using Metadata. Where you say that basically a content brand, so it's an organization that doesn't have to earn awareness because its audience is always paying attention. What would you say in terms of what it takes to get there when you were saying about how the content is almost being run as a, as a sell both separate to the business in a way, like with a business structure around the content itself, what do you think about the businesses that are, that the content actually does exist completely on a, a different platform with a different brand name to the content? And I guess what jumps out to me is I had Tyler Lassard on the bit, my other podcast a bit from Vidyard and their content is all going on sales feed, right. different platform, different social presence, things like that. But it's all Vidyard's content, growing that helpful content base. What do you think about that? So like actually two separate entities with a different brand name for the content. I mean, I think context matters, right? I'm not sure exactly why they're doing it that way. But in terms of the ideas that I'm I'm talking about, I think the important part of it is that it is associated directly with your brand. Um, because I think the quality, uh, and not even just the quality, because people mistake that for being like, oh, it's well-written. Quality is a lot of different things, like how you explore topics, the angles that you choose, um, you know, like the mediums that you invest in, the talent that you have on there, right? Um, but the quality of that content directly correlates to then what people associate your brand with, right? Um, and I talked about that in this newsletter this week, right? Like for years, to me, Wistie was a very unique product. Is it really? I mean, it, it's a good product, but I associated their product in the same way I felt about their content. And to have a separate sort of entity, I, I don't know, like the, do you lose some of that? Um, so I think the the real powerful, like, you know, the, the Wistias of the world, the Spark Toros, the Profit Wells before their acquisition, right? Like, you know, it's them. And so, I mean, is there, are there cases where having this separate entity like that is valuable? I'm sure, like, I'm not exactly sure what the use case is for Vidyard there. Um, but I, I think it's, it's powerful to have people associate 
the content you create with the same brand that you're offering a product or service within. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to talking about creating anchor content. So I absolutely loved an email that you sent out. I think it was around the end of September, which is when I got in touch with you and asked if you would be so kind as to come on the show. And it was about anchor content being harvestable and and creating it with a people first approach and then, you know, harvesting the content in the yeah. same way. You talked about creating content with others rather than for others. And I just wanted to know if you could share, I guess, your experiences of the the with others approach and um, you know, ways that you've done that in the past that have worked. Yeah. So there's a yeah, there's there's several pieces to that. So first, like just the idea of the anchor. I think most companies right now are investing in several different mediums, blog, maybe a podcast, maybe YouTube, uh, then there's social, and they have separate editorials across all of them. And so what ends up happening is either they don't see the return in all those mediums and uh, because they're not able to keep up with it, right? Or they just completely abandon one of those mediums or more. You know, they stop podcasting, they stop, right? Because it's just hard to have that many plates in the air at the same time. The idea of an anchor medium is one medium that sort of feeds all the rest. And so for some brands, that might be a podcast. Some brands, it might be research. For others, maybe it is their blog or video, et cetera. And you you basically start there and your focus is on like, all right, what angles are we taking there? Who, what, what, are, what are the subjects that we're going to tackle? What are the guests that we're going to interview? And then from there, like that one piece of content then becomes two or three blog posts. It becomes a podcast episode. It becomes a, a series of videos on your YouTube. It becomes six to 12 posts that you publish on social over the course of three months. Right. And so you have like one editorial rather than four. And one of the most powerful ways to, to sort of like augment that kind of strategy is to interview others or create content with others. I, I think, especially right now, I think two things are happening. AI is making it much easier to create generic how to content. But then the second thing is, I don't, I don't think that content is performing as well as it used to because pe just people don't trust it as much. Right. Like, me personally, when I search for stuff now, I'll be like best, uh, you know, what's something recently, like, I don't know, like best backpack. And then I'll append Reddit after it. Like, I don't, I don't want to see the brand crap. I just want to hear other people that are talking about backpacks. Like, let me skip all the branded crap because I know it's not going to be legit. It's all keyword optimized. They're not actually going to give me what I need to know. Um, so I think people don't trust, the, uh, people have a trust issue with branded content um, and AI is not going to help. And so one way to sort of circumvent that is to make the content less about, I'm going to educate you and more about, I'm going to talk to others. I'm going to share the insights that I learned with you. I'm not saying I have all the answers. This isn't single point of view, but I'm going to go out there and find answers from others. And I just think it's a more trustworthy way to publish content. And we did this at Databox for years. They're still doing it. And we started publishing in earnest in 2017. So well past like... This was the time when people were like, it's much harder to start a blog now. Um, it's way harder to rank. The you know, the Martech space where we where we were is way too saturated. And so we were like, we're gonna do it different. We're not gonna do the how-to approach. We're going to sort of create these mini research reports, survey our audience, ask them the answers to the questions, and then we'll act as like reporters and write a story about what we learned. And that allowed us to, to take off organically, so you know, virally through social 
And I just think it's a strategy that most people overlook. Um, and some people are doing it, but not to its fullest extent. Like they have a podcast, they have guests, but then they just publish the one episode and then that's it. You either listen to the episode and and hear all the insights or you never hear any of those insights anywhere else ever again. <laughs> and so there has to be, you know, like an a, a podcast, I believe is, is like a really good anchor medium because bang for your buck, you could have a 45 minute conversation and wind up with, you know, blog content for weeks, social content for months. You can wind up with video content. And I'm not talking about just like repurposing the transcript. I mean, like unique angles based on what was t discussed in that podcast. So I think a podcast is a really good example of a potential anchor medium. And just because you're talking with others, you're interviewing others, you're creating content with others. And there's an element there where you can reach out to members of your target audience, have them on your show or survey them for a research report. And that's what I mean by creating content with your audience, not just for them. It's a warmer introduction to your brand rather than like, hey, check this out, click this, buy this. It's instead like, hey, Amy, I, you know, creating this survey, I want to feature people like you and, and your insights would love to have you participate. Especially in the MarTech space, people, you know, love to to sort of share their insights. And so it's a vastly overlooked strategy that I think you're starting to see more people come around to. But yeah, it's part of kind of like what I'm trying to raise awareness on and, and educate people about. Yeah, absolutely love that. And I think in what you said, a few things to unpack, but you mentioned about podcasts being a, a really great sort of sitting at the top of the content pyramid, the content, because there's so many dimensions to a podcast and so much you can do with, especially a video podcast, if people are willing to do it on video as we are today, you get so much content from that. And right. I um, I know I've seen you mention on social or your newsletter about a, a report that you've been putting together around podcasts. And something that you mentioned was that you were finding that there was around four hours going into creating episodes, but then a week or so working on the, the repurposing and um, harvesting of content from that, which I thought was a real move towards people starting to to get this and understand this more. I, I don't feel having running a repurposing agency for six years now and really evangelizing this approach as much as I can for so long, I don't think that number would have been that high a year ago or a few years ago so I, like although there's room for improvement there 100 percent, i felt like that sounded like a healthy four weeks create one week repurpose um although was that actually it was it one four hours to create the content and then spending another week or so on the actual repurposing creating new angles creating new content yeah. or have i got that statistic wrong so it was I actually thought? it was actually uh the promotional window Oh, it was only okay. one week. Oh, right. So, oh, that's not so good. <laughs> yeah. So like no. <laughs> sort of like what, so, you know, when I built that survey, I have my own thesis around what brands are doing and I'm trying to either prove or disprove that. And one of the things is that brands spend so much time creating content, whether it's podcast or other mediums, and then they just, they share the link, they link dump it and that's it. And so that question was meant to get at like, all right, how long do you spend creating your podcast? And I think uh, the large percentage, it was like, you know, three to six hours. And then there was even a percentage that was over six hours per episode. And then what's the promotional window? How long do you spend promoting the episode? And it was one week. And so right. that was like, okay, they're just 
promoting the episode. They're saying, hey, I have this new podcast episode with Amy. Here it is. Check it out. And then they move on to the next one. And you know, I post, I shared that data point on LinkedIn. And a lot of people said like, yeah, we know this is an issue, but we're on to the next piece and we need to publish the next thing. And it's like that we're just focused on the wrong things. And one podcast episode can have two to three unique blog posts exploring an insight that was shared. It could have six to 12 LinkedIn threads that you schedule out over the course of a quarter. You know, it could, it could have, there, there's, there's so much potential for different angles that you could take. And from that one podcast episode, you could have content for several months. And so it's just a massively missed opportunity, especially given how much time people are spending to even produce that content. And it's not just podcasts. It's happening with research reports, eBooks, blog posts. It's happening all over the place, but that report is specific to podcasts. And so, yeah, it was something I, I, I had a feeling that that was what I was going to uncover. And yeah, it unfortunately was validated. That's, yeah. That's like you said, that's, that's not good. And I think it's what, what you said in terms of that approach of the content then therefore coming from the episodes being promotional content related to the episode, link dumping, as you said, which I love that term, um, rather than, as you said, finding the angles, finding the discussion points, finding the, the, all the evergreen, you know, content that can come out for weeks, months or longer from those episodes. It's just a promotional link dumping exercise, isn't it? Which is such a shame because oh, yeah. that is time that's gone into it. And I, as you said it like, yeah, podcasts are quite bad for that, but you know, we see it all the time with things similar to podcasts, but webinar series or virtual events. I mean, like, you know, there's the amount of time that organizations can put into putting on something like a virtual event um, to then have 12 or so awesome interviews, panel discussions, things like that, that just may, maybe go into a virtual ticket or something like that or, or provided as free content thereafter. But it's like you've got a year's worth of content there of yeah. different articles, threads. <laughs> yeah, there's there's just so much potential. And like bang for your buck, if a podcast might be the best medium for that. Right. Cause like I said, one 45 minute conversation could get you so much, so much content, so many threads that you could pull on. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's just not, it's just not being done right now. And, or the, the ones who are doing it, it's few and far between. And, and, and I think people think you need a big team to do it and it's just, you don't, you just need a different process and you can still publish at volume. It's just your anchor piece, just publishing less anchors. Whereas right now brands are publishing anchors all over the place. Their blogs and anchor, their podcasts is an anchor, their YouTube's an anchor, their social content, everything's anchor content. Whereas this process is like you have your one anchor and you're publishing less of those, but you're publishing a lot of content from it. Blog posts, social posts from that one anchor. So you could still publish at scale if you're a team that's trying to to publish at a high volume on your blog. And it's just a much different approach. And and I don't think you need a different team, a different team structure, different team size. You just need a different process. It's a different process, but I also feel that it's a real mindset shift. Um, and that sometimes the the challenge as well is is um you can put the processes in, but you it's often people have worked in that way for so long, haven't they? And also have been um put under pressure from perhaps leadership to work in that way and have been rewarded in that way as well with the bigger pieces that Sometimes I think the organizations, you know, there needs to be that shift in mindset of 
um, doing more with less and understanding that there is this opportunity to do more with less. And it can be the same amount of directed hours, but directed against different processes, as you said, and things like that. And maybe sometimes it's difficult to win over the hearts and minds of those that are just so set in their ways (laughs) of doing doing that. But um, yeah, you know, it is the way forward and it is the the best approach for these organizations to follow for sure just so much more efficient and so much more likely to gain um a stronger yeah, when, I, when i hear so stuff the, like that too sorry to cut you off but when i hear stuff like that about like teams saying like oh well they're, they're celebrated for that or that it's just marketers not knowing how to do their job of set of managing up and selling different executives oftentimes they don't know the ins and outs of content it's not their job too but they see they see what is common and and uh, sort of commonplace in the industry, and it's up to you as the marketer to to sort of sell them on different ways of doing things. And I just don't think most marketers are equipped to do that. And so they just do what they think they're supposed to be doing or what the executives think they're supposed to be doing, without ever trying to be like, "Hey, there's another way that we could do this, and here's how it could work." Um, and I think that I don't know people would find that you know not everybody, but I think many execs and executive teams would be open to to new ways of doing things if there was sound reasoning behind it. Exactly. I completely agree. Hey, just a little break from this podcast episode to ask you a question. Would you like one single place that you can go to that provides you with everything you need to be able to implement the best practices in content repurposing for your video content, your podcast episodes, and your social media content today? to help you get more value from the content that you create, get more time back and help you reach more people than you ever thought possible. If so, then you are going to love the Content 10X Toolkit. The toolkit is full of video tutorials, templates, checklists, swipe files, step-by-step guides and more that shows you how to repurpose your content in the best ways possible today. No more Googling, no more figuring it out yourself. We provide you with everything that you need to become a content repurposing pro. If this sounds like something that would interest you, then go check out the Content 10X Toolkit at content10x.com forward slash toolkit. Okay, I'm back to this week's episode. In terms of finding the, you know, the best anchor content for you and for your team, your organization, because you have to really figure out that content flow, don't you, of what you have agreed is going to be the anchor at the top and then what will come out from below that. What would you say are key considerations that the the team would need to put in place in determining what is the best anchor content for us? Yeah, the anchor medium. Uh, so it's it's really about the talent and the interests of your team because you could tell the brands that are podcasting because they feel like they're supposed to. And it's it's boring and it's it's never going to build the, the the type of audience that they want or the level of consistent attention that they want. So I think it's about aligning your team's skill set and their interests. The flip side of what I just said, you can always tell when you're listening to a podcast, reading a blog post, watching a video, and the person creating it is loving it. Like you could always tell. And so I think that that's Wistia is a brand I always use far too often as an example of this. And Chris Levine at Wistia, you could tell he just like eats, lives, breathes like video production. And he knows so much about it. And 
He takes us on these explorations with him as he's learning stuff. He's showing us how he approaches things. And it's so clear that he enjoys the subject and he enjoys the medium in which he's discussing the subject. And I think that part is critical. And I think there's two ways to go about it. You look at your current team and you sort of align, all right, what's our anchor medium going to be based on our current skills and, um, you know, the interests of the team? What do they love to create for? Maybe it's email, maybe, you know, right? Like maybe it's video, maybe it's a blog, maybe it's written content. Um, the other way is if you, if, if you're sort of trying to staff your team is to decide like, what do you, what do you think, which medium do you think your team should be investing in or, or what direction do you want to go as a, as a leader and then hire for those skills. So if you know, it's going to be podcasting, you know, don't just hire a content marketer. That's, you know, good at writing and editing blog content, um, go out and find on-air talent. So I think the most important piece is just making sure you're aligning the skills and interests of your team with whatever anchor medium that you choose. Because if you do that, it's so much easier to, to gain traction and to build the kind of audience that you want and to get the kind of attention that you're looking for. Um, I don't think it could happen just by, all right, I think we should be podcasting. Let's, let's make that our anchor medium and let's get everybody on board with that. And if you don't have the right talent for that and they're not interested in it, it's just not going to work. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and, you know, I think quite often it can be down to, as you said, the, the talent that will be the on-air talent of the show, isn't it? That yeah. Sometimes the, the back-end team is super keen on the podcast, but no one's really putting their hand up to actually go and be on the mic and be running the show. But then, like you said, you know, if it's something that you're aspirationally wanting to do, then when the next hire opportunity, you hire for what you want to, what direction right. you want to go and don't even hire the right skills. And then in terms of the 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 harvesting of content as as we were saying earlier um it's not about link dumping and just hey you know newest episode lands now go and check it out and more about finding the angles things like that so finding the um the discussions the the unique points of view the ideas that were shared and creating good content around that i, I guess a, a last question i wanted to ask is that whilst i agree on obviously you should not link dumping you should be finding just putting valuable snippets of content out from the anchor content but what ratio do you think is appropriate to share links in terms of, of course, occasionally you want to drive people to the location you want to drive them to. Because we, we try and follow certain ratios of we'll, we'll create so many percentage that, yes, we will add links and there will be a mention. And then somewhere there's not even a mention that it came from other content, not relevant. This is just a post about that particular angle. Do you, do you have any way that you try and follow that approach? So when I talk about link dumping, I don't, I don't mean to say that you shouldn't share links. It's the way in which people promote their content. Link dumping is after you record this episode, you post it on your, on your Twitter and LinkedIn and said, I just recorded an episode with John Vanini last week. We talked about X, Y, Z, check it out. That's link dumping, right? Where, so the, the issue is the, the purpose of the promotion is the link. If you took the link out of that promotion, your post says nothing. You learn nothing. There's, there's, right? There's nothing interesting besides maybe the person, right? Oh, so and so is in the show. Um, you can still share the link, but it's about making the post. If you strip the link out, it's still valuable. It's still insightful. You still learn something. You were still entertained. You were still inspired. Um, that's that's really the the heart of what what I mean by not link dumping. 
a good way to test whether you're link dumping or not is to go to all the posts that your your brand either published from its branded account or that you published from your own account and take the links out. Is the post still helpful? If it's like, oh no, really the purpose of this whole post was just to promote the link, you're link dumping. Yeah, um, exactly. If you included a link, but you also said, hey, I had this discussion with, um, with Amy Woods and these were the five things I found that were most interesting about how you know, her agency approaches content. You know, I discuss them. I publish a long thread on LinkedIn. And at the bottom, I'm saying, if you want to check out the, the full discussion and learn more, that's not link dumping. Both posts share a link, right? One is link dumping. One is not. If I pulled the link out of the latter example that I just shared, the post stands on its own. It's still helpful. A man in a Tividad from SparkToro refers to this as, as uh, zero click content. Um, you don't need to click to learn anything. And so I think that's really the heart of what I mean when I say that we need to move away from link dumping. And there's so many ways that we can do that. And there's so many different approaches and angles that you could take. From this podcast alone, I've talked about things that I used to do with Databox. I talked about how I sort of like what led to the idea of content brands and what that all means and how brands can can adapt. We're, we're talking about link dumping. These could be unique social posts. These could be unique blog posts. You could have a blog post that's like how Databox, you know, used research to blah, blah, blah. And it's taking, it's harvesting content from this conversation. Now that's a standalone blog post, a standalone LinkedIn thread, standalone, right? And then then you could go back and be like, okay, the piece on li uh, link dumping was interesting. Now I could do a unique piece on that. And, it, and so there's so much content to be harvested beyond just the episode itself. And so like, that's the other piece of link dumping is, are you just sharing the piece in isolation and that's it? Or are you taking specific insights from it and sharing those individually and saying like, okay, this is part of a broader discussion. If you want to see everything that we talked about, go check out that again, that's not link dumping. So I think what's just important to remember and what's a good rule of thumb is if you pulled out the link is your LinkedIn thread, Twitter post. Block, is, is it still your email? <laughs> this happens all the time in email. We talked about this week, this week, check it out. Most marketing branded newsletters are link dumps, literally. Like they're sharing all the stuff they published that week and just link dumping. There's no inherent value to the newsletter. I, I shouldn't need to subscribe to this because there's no value here. Um, and so a good exercise is to go back and just audit what you're doing. And if you pull the links out, is there inherent value there? If there's not, there's a good chance that you're link dumping. And there's, there's a better way that we all need to be doing this. Great. <laughs> and actually, it's funny you mentioned Amanda Tividad because I had her on the podcast a little while ago. So it was probably about a year ago now. And it, like, as she said, talking about zero-click content and um, basically exactly what you said, does the post add value on its own if there was or wasn't a, a, a link? Yeah. And it's just so important, isn't it? And it's such a good uh, practice to get into and it probably should be some kind of like pop-up warning when people post. <laughs> if you've got a link and this link was gone, would it still have value? You're link dumping right now. Yeah, yeah exactly. some sort of like AI functionality that tells that us good. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for content marketers, it could be a plugin, couldn't it? Chrome plugin, right? For content marketers, we just come up with a, an idea there. And if you uh, use check it out, it's like whoop red flag. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Did you really mean to say that? Yeah. <laughs> did you really? Yeah, did you value? really mean? It? Instead of directing them somewhere else to check it out, why don't you just share it here? And then if they want to see the broader context, yeah. But the 
Yeah, I guess maybe that's another thing. If you're using check it out, stop and just like audit what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, John, thank you so much for um, coming on the show. I could talk to you for a lot longer, I'm sure, but I'm very respectful of your time and I'm conscious that we need to wrap it up. So thanks for coming on. Absolutely awesome conversation. Where would you like people to go? Obviously, there's somegoodcontent.com. You've got your awesome newsletter. Yeah. But I'll let you take it away. Where would you like people to? Yeah, I mean, I think the newsletter is probably the, the easiest way for us to stay in touch. So it's it's just somegoodcontent.com slash newsletter. Um, and yeah, visit there and and subscribe to the newsletter and uh, publish weekly. And I think that's this is where I kind of sort of become a diary for my explorations into what I'm learning with working with others, what I, just my own observations uh, from my experiences. And yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun and I think everything I share that that's sort of my anchor uh, medium. So best place to, to stay in touch is there. Yeah. Highly recommend. And we'll put a link obviously in the show notes to your um, newsletter to subscribe. So again, thank you, John. It's been absolutely fantastic to have you on the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. so i hope you enjoyed that discussion and thank you so much for tuning in if you enjoy the content 10x podcast then why not hit that subscribe button on your podcast listening app of choice so that you can get updated when new episodes are released and i'd really really appreciate it if you could leave a review as well that really makes a difference for the podcast also please do get a copy of my book content 10x more content less time maximum results it is the ultimate guide Guide to repurposing every type of content and it's available on Amazon in Kindle and paperback and also in audiobook as well and you can head to content10x.com forward slash book to find all the other places that you can get a copy of my book and if you would like us to do your content repurposing for you then we offer a fully end-to-end done-for-you content repurposing service this is for podcasters and video content creators we have our podcast 10x video 10x and also our specific LinkedIn 10x service helping you to become the leading authority in your industry on LinkedIn. You can find out so much more about our services on our website and also please do give me a follow on the social media platforms. I share lots and lots of tips and advice on social media about content repurposing. I'm at content10x on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And if you try content10x.com forward slash LinkedIn, you'll find my LinkedIn profile over there as well. All that's left to say is thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and I'll catch you in the next one.